0: Hey there, everybody. It's Pastor Kevin here. So great to be with each and every one of you as we celebrate the resurrected Jesus this morning as a church family. It is Easter morning, and it's just a time to rejoice and to celebrate. I hope the time of song and worship and prayer was just really meaningful to you. And uh, it's just such an amazing time of year. Now, if we're really honest with one another, it's also incredibly different, isn't it? Like, who would have expected that we'd be celebrating Easter morning, not in our church buildings, but rather at home? Some of us by ourselves, some of us with just our family, maybe some of us with just a spouse. And and, and Easter is just feeling very, very different right now. I mean, for me personally, I've always associated this time of year with parties and food and celebration. You see, I was born on an Easter Sunday morning way back in 1971. I'll let you do the math to figure out how old I am. But because my birthday and Easter tend to fall really close together, um, this time of year is always about family. It's about friends. It's about food. It's about chocolate. It's about presents. It's about celebrating and being with the people that you love. And yet now here we find ourselves not necessarily being able to have those parties, not being able to have people over, not being able to share those meals and not be close to people. So Easter can feel very, very different right now because we're at home, that we're not all together. But here's the thing. Jesus is still alive. And what Jesus accomplished for humanity 2,000 years ago is still worth celebrating today, regardless of how different it's looking in our churches this morning. So even though it's very different, I think that's still a great opportunity for us as a church family to rejoice. You see, something weird happens if we were honest with one another. Something weird happens in our hearts When things radically and rapidly change on us, it has a way of creating doubt. It has a way of creating insecurity. It has a way of making us feel not quite right in our own skin. And so I think there's a really amazing opportunity in situations like this, when everything just changes so quickly, it poses all these questions like like what is God doing? Like why is God allowing this? And in such a global pandemic that we're experiencing right now, it's quite possible for even committed followers of Jesus to experience a little bit of spiritual doubt. Just that uncertainty, and it's not so much doubt in in believing in God or believing in, in his existence or believing in the salvation or in the resurrection, but just this spiritual doubt that can creep into our hearts when we can't easily come up with answers for what is going on. And that's just those of us who would call ourselves Christians, those of us who are kind of, you know, believe in God. But what about people outside of the church who, you know, don't look... At What's happening in the world through that spiritual lens, right? The doubt that could be on so many people's hearts right now. I mean, over the years, ever since I've been a pastor, I have had the opportunity to walk with a lot of different people in their seasons of doubt people who are just really wrestling with the fact that and for them it's not even wrestling it's just there's no god like i just don't believe in what you believe and there's just no god and the fact that you believe what you believe is great for you but i think you're crazy <laughs> right other people who um they might believe that there's some form of god but the fact that god would be intimately you know concerned about each individual human's life and everything going on in their life just seems kind of you know, why would a God worry about those kind of things? Other people doubt God's love. When they look at their own lives, when they look at how they've hurt people, hurt themselves, you know, been dishonest. Anything that's gone on in their lives, they wrestle with doubt. How could God love someone like me? Or the idea that Jesus died for the forgiveness of my sin. There could be spiritual doubt that would linger going, how could Jesus die for for me. And so there's so many different ways that people can experience doubt. But I've come to believe just from my own experience and from what I study in the Bible that doubt can sometimes be a really good thing. In fact, I've come to believe that sometimes doubt is necessary to help you and I develop a much stronger faith. That spiritual doubt that can creep into our hearts, that can creep into our minds, is actually a way that God uses to strengthen and grow our faith in him if we're willing to wrestle through the doubt. So that's what I want us to do together today. I want to look at the Easter story, the resurrection of Jesus, and I want to look specifically... At this story, through the eyes of a man named Thomas. Now, if you're remotely familiar with the Easter story, if you're remotely familiar with the ministry of Jesus and the teachings of the Bible, you would have heard of Thomas before. Thomas earned the awesome nickname of, say it out loud at home, everybody, Doubting Thomas. Wouldn't you just love, for all human history, for 2,000 years, that is what you are known for. You're known specifically for your doubt. So just to set a little bit of context before I jump into the text, the text that we're going to look at, I'm going to look at a little bit from the Luke's gospel and then jump over to John's gospel. And the context of this is this happens right after the uh, resurrection of Jesus. So Jesus was arrested three days earlier. He was convicted of blasphemy. He was punished for it. He was executed for declaring himself to be God, which was punishable by death in that ancient Jewish world. And then he was nailed to a Roman cross, put into another man's tomb after he died, and he was in the tomb for three days. And then Jesus rose from the dead. The stone that covered the tomb entrance was rolled away. Jesus came out, angels declared it, women witnessed it, Peter witnessed it, and then we see more and more of the followers of Jesus witnessing the resurrection of Jesus. So we see here Jesus' encounter with his disciples in Luke chapter 24 in verses 36 to 39. This is what Luke writes for us in his gospel. He says, while they were still talking about this— what are they talking about? They're talking about the crucifixion of Jesus. They're talking about the fact that the women have seen, you know, Jesus re- resurrect. Or sort of they got the message from the angel that Jesus has been resurrected, right? And so while they're still talking about all of this, Jesus himself stood among them. You know, it didn't say Jesus walked through the door, Jesus kind of entered the room. It just suddenly, boom, Jesus is there. It's like, Jesus, oh my goodness, there you are, right? It's It like kind of just shows up out of nowhere, and he kind of gives these beautiful words, peace, be with you. Man, Jesus just showing up, popping in the middle of the room. (laughs) Well, their response would be exactly like you and me, where it says here in verse 37, they were startled and they were frightened, thinking that they saw a ghost. Because the last time they saw Jesus, he was dead. right? Not just almost dead. Dead, dead. Flogged by Roman centurions, nailed to a Roman cross, spear pierced in his side where his blood and the bodily fluids came out, put into a tomb, dead. So, of course, suddenly now he pops up in the room. They're freaked out. They're nervous. They're scared. They think they're seeing a ghost. And Jesus says to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is myself. Touch me and see. What's interesting about this account of the disciples kind of meeting up with Jesus is that we learn in John's gospel that there's someone who's not there. And that's Thomas. Thomas missed out on this first encounter with Jesus. The text doesn't say where he was. The text doesn't say what he was up to. We just know he wasn't there. John's gospel tells us this in John chapter 20, right there in verse 24. It says, now Thomas, also known known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. You see, Thomas missed out. He kind of missed out on this opportunity to see Jesus. Again, we don't know what he was doing, so we don't want to be too critical of Thomas. But Thomas missed the gathering of God's people. He wasn't with them while maybe they were worshiping, maybe they were praying, maybe they were you know trying to figure out a secret plan to get out of the city. Who knows what was going on at this point? But Thomas wasn't there. And by Thomas not being there, Thomas missed out on the presence of Jesus He missed out on the proof of Jesus, right? He missed out on the peace of Jesus. You know, so often I talk to people, especially people who uh, have put their faith in Jesus. And sometimes when life gets so busy and life gets so crazy, people tend to make decisions to kind of put their spiritual life on the back burner, You know, I got to just deal with kids now, or I just have to deal with school now, or I just have to deal with my career now. And they put their spiritual life, their spiritual growth on the back burner. But when you and I do that, when we put spiritual things on the back burner and we'll get to it eventually, and we don't gather and we don't meet and we don't wrestle through our doubt, we miss out on the presence of Jesus. We miss out on. On the proof of Jesus, and we miss out on the peace of Jesus. And so Thomas kind of missed out on those things. And so, down here in John's gospel in verse 20, we see what happens next when everyone is so excited that they've seen Jesus. And now Thomas walks into the room and he thinks they're all nuts, basically. Right? It continues here in John chapter 20. Kind of saying in verse 25 says, so all the other disciples said to Thomas, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into the side, I will not believe. Those are some pretty harsh words. (laughs) Unless I see. Unless I can touch, unless I get my proof, I will not believe. You see, Thomas gets this bad rap of being known as doubting Thomas. But haven't all of us at some point in this journey that you and I are on with Jesus have said words very similar to this? If I don't see, if I don't get, if I don't hear, I won't believe. You see, we may not say the words exactly like that, but that's what spiritual doubt is, especially in times of difficulty is that we need something so much more in those times of difficulty. We need something more than just a secondhand account of God, a second-hand account of the Christian faith, right? And I think that is such a challenge in the culture that we live in today. So many people have built their faith not so much on their personal experience with God— But they've built their faith on someone else's experience with God. Kind of the authors and the theologians and kind of the the big-name preacher speakers call this cultural Christianity. It's, I'm a Christian culturally. I'm a Christian because I'm not, obviously, a different religious group Right. My grandma went to church. My parents went to church. I maybe went to church at some point, but I'm a cultural Christian. I'm not Jewish. I'm not Muslim. I'm not Buddhist. So I'm obviously a Christian. Right. And that's a secondhand knowledge of God. Right. And it's very, very easy to kind of approach things of faith secondhand that way. And when we have that doubt, when we have kind of these questions that we're pondering, because it's secondhand, it it doesn't really change much in our lives. It doesn't really accomplish a lot in our lives. Like when we're wrestling with big questions of faith, like when Jesus says words like, I am the way, the truth, and the life, nobody comes to the Father except through me. Well, when you have a secondhand faith, when you have a cultural Christianity, you hear a verse like that and say, well, that can't be right. I mean, the world is big. Religions are big. All different views of God are big. They're all the same. They all kind of say the same thing. Well, they don't. Jesus says something pretty different than everybody else, right? The challenge of a secondhand faith, right, or cultural Christianity, is that when trouble comes into our lives, it can really rock a very fragile faith. I would actually describe my first half of my life as having a, second ha- a second-hand faith. You see, I kind of grew up in, in a religious school where, where religion was taught, and, and there was an expectation of belief. And if ever you had questions, About faith. If you ever had questions about the Bible and you would go to these kind of religious leaders, you would go to people older than you who, you know, kind of know this stuff better. The response as a child for me in my experience has always been don't question this, don't ask that. Who are you to doubt? It's like you're expecting children to have this incredible rock solid faith. With no questions asked. Right? And so that was kind of the foundational teaching of my early faith, was that you don't ask these questions. So I would have considered myself to be a Christian. In fact, by the end of high school, I thought it was a little kind of cool. It was a little rebellious, even to be a little bit Christian. And I started wearing this gold cross chain. I started wearing that, I think, in my, in grade 11, before kind of grad, the year before graduating high school. Just thought it would be cool to start wearing this Christian chain around my neck. And then I remember in my last year of high school, I was 16 or 17 years old and, you know, kind of believed in God wearing this Christian necklace, and I just got the news that my grandfather had passed away. Now, this was my first family member to pass away. This was the first time that I've personally experienced death I was actually um, spending the weekend at a friend's house. I used to work in fast food back when I was in high school, and we were going out partying that night, and so I went to my buddy's place. I was going to take a shower, get changed, because when you work in fast food, you just reek like fast food for hours after you get out of work. So I was getting washed up at my friend's place, and I, was, I remember this so clearly. I was up in his bathroom, and I was sobbing because I had just got the news that my grandfather had passed away, and I prayed. And I asked God, why why, grandpa? Why would you take him? He was doing better. The cancer was going into remission. Things were looked like they were doing better. And the answer I got was silence. There's no answer in that moment. And in my tears, pulled the cross off my neck. I broke the chain. I threw it in the trash. And I didn't think about God for about another decade after that. You see, secondhand faith, cultural Christianity isn't enough. It isn't enough to get us through the trials of life. It isn't enough to get us through the difficulties of life. It isn't enough to get us through a pandemic, (laughs) right? And we see this at play in the lives of the disciples here in the resurrection story of Jesus, right? See, when the disciples declare to Thomas, we have seen the Lord. This is a huge statement to declare. Again, they all saw him die. Thomas would have seen him die. And so this whole idea that Jesus survived a Roman crucifixion, that's not possible. And so the that the disciples are excited and Thomas is sitting there and he's wrestling with this and he wants to believe this, but he just can't go there. You need something a little bit more, right? See, it's, and when it's, it's, I find it fascinating when you study kind of this, these ancient days, you know, when you study kind of the culture that the disciples of Jesus lived in, you see that the, they, these followers of Jesus, were not cultural christians in fact they were living lives that was radically countercultural in a jewish context they were believing and following the teachings of jesus that was radically different than what the culture was teaching and mandating right the idea that jesus himself was the son of god that jesus is god that when jesus declared i am he declares himself as God, right that Jesus was born of a virgin, right that Jesus lived a sinless life, that when John the Baptist saw Jesus coming, he cried out that behold, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, and that Jesus would go around and he would heal people, he would raise the dead, he would cast out demons. He would do all of these miracles as signs of who he is, a testimony of who he is. He would declare that the kingdom of God is here. And the spiritual realms were responding to that. The crowds would see this and they're like, man, this guy is teaching with an authority that we have never seen before. And then it all comes tumbling and crashing down. Looks great for three years, but then suddenly the religious leaders have enough. He's breaking the Sabbath. He's breaking the traditions. He's making us look like a fool. We've got to get rid of this guy. Counter cultural. And so this has got this message of Jesus that these disciples believed. Jesus was telling them, I'm going to die, and three days later I'll rise from the dead. And then he actually did it. It's easy to declare. You're going to raise from, you know, you're going to come back from the dead. It's another thing to do it, right? People witnessed this. This is a crazy countercultural thing to believe. And this counter-cultural message of Jesus needs a response, right? It's not a response that you can just go, eh, whatever. I'll put it on a shelf. I'll think about it whenever. I mean, the resurrection of Jesus is either the greatest thing to ever happen in all of human history or it's nothing. It can't be in between. It's either the greatest thing to ever happen or it's nothing. Right. And we all have to wrestle with that. Thomas in his doubt is wrestling with this, right? He doesn't want to just take the faith of the other disciples. He wants this faith to be real for himself. And I actually believe God is okay with you and I wrestling with our faith. I actually believe that doubt is okay when it causes us to wrestle and turn to God in that. Because this is exactly what we see happening to Thomas, right? Thomas needs more evidence of this. The doubt is is sometimes the process to an incredibly strong faith. And that's what we see happen to Thomas here. The story continues in John chapter 20, uh, down in verse 26. He says, I will not believe. Then it says, a week later. A week later, his disciples were in the house again. This time, Thomas was with them, right? And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. There's Jesus just showing up again in in in, in the room. Shouldn't be a surprise, you know, if if the stone that was blocking the entrance of the tomb is rolled away, and Jesus can deal with that, Jesus can deal with a locked door as well. So the doors were locked, Jesus came in, stood among them, and said again, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Jesus goes straight to the person who needs to hear from him the most. And he says, Put your fingers here. See my hands? The holes are still there in Jesus' resurrected body. It says, reach out your hand and put it into my side where he was pierced by the spear. And Jesus said, stop doubting and believe. Stop doubting and believe. Jesus gives Thomas exactly what Thomas needs to believe. And I believe God is still at work in the world. Even though we as followers of Jesus are in our homes right now, even though people all over the world are in their homes right now and can't go visit a church building, I believe God is still in the business of giving people what they need to help them move from doubt into faith and that's what easter celebration for me is all about this year i see it in scripture i also saw it happen in my own life you see like i shared that moment of that doubt in my faith that caused me to walk away from ever thinking about god even for 10 years never thought of god at all in that period went to college college didn't go really well for me just a little bit of a sidebar i kind of got distracted by all the bars that were near my college i got distracted with the partying i got distracted with kind of the party life in college and so um i just barely graduated like just i mean barely graduated And then I went to computer school. I started working in the computer industry at the height of the dot-com industry. It was crazy. crazy. I was traveling all over the world. I met my wife, Danielle. We started dating. Three months later, I proposed to her. Not the best strategy. That's not what I recommend to people when I'm doing marriage counseling nowadays. But back then, I figured I better marry her fast before she realizes she could have done so much better than me. (laughs) So I had to kind of really kind of... Walk in the deal here and, and get her to marry me. So that's just a bad joke. But um, yeah, and so and and I remember Danielle and I were engaged. I was playing online video games, and I learned about Jesus. But I didn't learn about this Jesus that I kind of thought I knew. This second-hand knowledge of Jesus that I had. Right, this Jesus that he's mad at me, this Jesus that he's disappointed in me, this Jesus that, you know, I better be a good boy or he's gonna be mad. Right? I learned about this Jesus who loved me. And he loved me so much that he would die for me. And there's no way I could ever be religious enough to earn his forgiveness. I could never keep any rule, any tradition, any doctrine that would make Jesus love me more than he already does. And when I heard that message, you know how I responded? With doubt. I didn't believe it. So how what did I have to do? I bought a Bible and I started reading it to disprove what I had just learned about Jesus. That can't be right. So I bought a Bible, not this one, but I bought a Bible I started reading it at the very beginning. Genesis was familiar because it was the same lessons that I had learned growing up. I kind of understood all of that. Exodus was familiar because I remembered the Charlton Heston movie. And then I got into Leviticus, and I'm like, what am I reading? <laughs> Why, what does this have to do with anything? And then I got to Numbers, and I thought I was just going to throw it out the window. But I, I punched through, and then, okay, it started getting familiar again. King David, Goliath, I recognize all of that. And then I got into the Gospels, that was familiar. And then I got into the writing of the Apostles. And something in my heart just switched. You see, in my doubt, God gave me exactly what I needed. It wasn't this big giant miracle. It wasn't this big magic proof thing. It wasn't like I saw the hands of Jesus, put my hands in the holes, put my hand in the side. But God met me in my doubt, to give me just what I needed. And I needed that affirmation that God loved me. That all the stuff I'd ever done, the stuff that I'd done to hurt people, the ways I was living that was hurting myself, that God knew all that. He wasn't surprised by it. He wasn't shocked by it. He wasn't disappointed with it. And he loved me. And he offered me forgiveness. And so in my doubt, I received what I needed And I declared Jesus as Lord. You see, doubt can lead to an incredibly rich faith. Thomas's response in John chapter 28, verse 28, is my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. Doubting Thomas, the guy who gets this label of doubt, you know, he gets the label that every other disciple had as well. When Jesus showed up the first time, he looked at all the 11 and said, why do you doubt? When Jesus is on kind of a mountain and he's talking and he's giving the commission to the the followers, his followers, and he tells them to go out into all the world, people doubted. We all go through these moments of spiritual doubt, but these moments of doubt can lead to great, rich faith that bring us To not simply believe in Jesus, but rather to believe Jesus. You see, there's a difference between believing in Jesus and believing Jesus. You see, the demons and, and the devil believe in Jesus, but they don't believe Jesus a second-hand faith, a cultural christianity may bring us to the point to go, yeah, i believe in jesus, i believe jesus existed, i believe jesus, you know, believed what he believed, i believe jesus went to the cross, <laughs> those kind of things, but do i believe jesus? when jesus said things like i am the way the truth and the life, no one comes to the father except through me. when jesus says i've come to give life and life everlasting, When Jesus says, whoever comes to me will never hunger or never thirst. When Jesus says, peace, be with you. Do you and I believe Jesus? Church, the Bible doesn't tell us the end of Thomas's story. Church history does and church tradition does. Church history tells us that the doubter, Thomas traveled further than any other apostle of Jesus that Thomas ended up all the way in India and that Thomas in India was put to the spear for his faith (laughs) that he was killed because he wouldn't deny that Jesus was Lord and that Jesus was God. Thomas moves from doubt to a faith so strong that he'd be willing to die for Jesus. The challenge for you and me in our lives is that will we take our spiritual doubt and will it cause us to believe enough in Jesus that we would be willing to live for him? You see, I get people who come to me and talk to me about faith and non-Christian friends, non-Christian family, and I'm very open and honest that, you know what, my faith is not perfect. My faith journey is not perfect. I have times of spiritual doubt. In a time like right now, oh my goodness, it feels like the world and the church and everything is moving at a thousand miles an hour. It's very easy to doubt But in this season of wrestling a little bit with what God is doing, what does it mean for the church? What does this mean long-term for how we do ministry, how we care for people, how we see people impacted? All these questions that can cause me to doubt right now. Instead of putting that doubt on the shelf, I'm going to roll up my sleeves, literally, and work on it. (laughs) Wrestle with the doubt. Wrestle with what God is doing. Wrestle with what God is teaching me at this time. Wrestle with what God wants for my family, for the ministry, for our city, for the world. (laughs) Because God is up to something right now. And so in the doubt, we lean in. That even in my doubt, I'm going to live completely for Jesus. And I actually believe through experience and through what the word of God shows us that God will meet us in that, those moments. You see, this Easter, even though Easter looks so different than the 22 years that I've been a follower of Jesus, this is the weirdest Easter I've ever celebrated, but the tomb is still empty, and Jesus is still alive, and Jesus is still on his throne, and God still knows what he is doing in the world, and that causes me to rejoice and to celebrate this Easter. Some of you right now might be dealing with doubt. Some of you who are followers of Jesus might be wrestling with some spiritual doubt right now. And I hope today encourages you to lean into that. I have Said for years that the church should be the safest place for us to discuss and wrestle with anything. And so I hope that you will be encouraged to wrestle and talk to someone about that doubt that you might be experiencing right now in this season of your faith journey. And maybe some of you are here today and you would say, I- I'm not a Christian. I-, I don't believe this. I don't believe like you do. But there's a pull on your heart happening. That you have spiritual questions that you want answers to. What a great opportunity you have right now to not just put this on a shelf, but to come up with your answers and to find your answers, just like I did 22 years ago. And let God meet you in that moment. So I'm going to pray for us right now. And and what I want to do is there's a banner that's popping up underneath me right now. If you would say you are a follower of Jesus and you are just wrestling with some kind of doubt, whatever that might be, you know, whatever. You don't have to share what that is in the chat. But if you're just wrestling with some kind of spiritual doubt, would you just click that banner so I can just kind of see the number that popping up there? And I'm going to pray for you. Consider that. That's kind of like what we used to do on Sunday morning when we met in the building. And I would ask you to raise your hand. That's what you're doing right now. You're raising your hand by clicking that banner so I can pray for you. So let me pray right now for those who would say I'm a follower of Jesus, but you're just wrestling through some kind of doubt right now. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I praise you and thank you that we could worship together in through the Church Online platform. God, I thank you for the way that you have gathered the church Through this tool. Thank you that we could worship. Thank you that we could learn. Thank you that we could encourage. Thank you that we could pray for one another. And Father, I pray for everyone who raised their hand this morning your children, your followers who in this season are wrestling with doubt. Maybe they're wrestling with what you're doing in their life. Maybe they're wrestling that you're going to provide. Maybe they're wrestling that you're going to meet with them. Whatever that looks like in their life, you know, God, what is going on, you know why they clicked that banner and raised their hand, you know, that way virtually today. So, Father, I pray that even today you would meet them, that you would, just like you did for Thomas, that you would show him what he needed to know, just like you did for me 22 years ago, that you gave me just what I needed to know. Father, I pray for your church that you would help us to not doubt, but believe. Not to doubt, but to believe. And maybe some of you are here today and you want to believe. Maybe this idea of Jesus is new to you, or maybe you've heard it a hundred times. But today, Jesus wants you to move from believing in Jesus to moving to believe Jesus. I love this part in the resurrection story. But it says on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took spices they had prepared and they went to the tomb. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in cloth that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. And the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified, but he is not here. He has risen just as he said. The starting point for you today might be to step away from that doubt. Don't just believe in Jesus, but believe Jesus. When Jesus said he would rise from the dead, believe him that he did. Witnesses saw it. Hundreds of witnesses saw it. And Jesus is still meeting with people all over the world, giving them exactly what they need to step from that doubt into a very amazing faith. And you could do that right where you are from at home today. I'm gonna lead in a prayer, and if you just feel this tug on your heart to believe Jesus, there's a banner underneath you this uh, this morning. I would love for you to click that banner so that we can get some free resources into your hands to help you on this journey. As we're practicing social distance, we don't want you to just come to Jesus and then feel abandoned. You are a part of the family, but you could just pray like this today. Father God, I praise you and I thank you that Jesus died for me. Father, today I turn from my sin. I give you my heart. <laughs> Jesus, come into me and make me new. And Lord, I pray that you would remove my doubt and build my faith. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. I worship you today. I praise God for those of you who've made that decision. Happy Easter, everyone. God bless you. I love you and look forward to talking to you again real soon. God bless.